So I want to spend a few moments today talking about the subject of disappointment. Subject of disappointment. Disappointment happens when our expectations exceed our outcomes. Disappointment happens when we hope for a certain outcome and yet a different outcome occurs. We've all experienced disappointment in our lives and we've been in a series for the last several weeks where we're exploring the life of a guy named Simon, Simon Peter. And what I love about Simon, he's one of the great heroes of the faith, but what I love about him is that the, the, the writers of the Gospels did not redact, did not scrub out all of the bad parts about Simon. They left him in there and I really appreciate that because I can relate to Simon. Sometimes we live lives of victory and sometimes we fail. Sometimes we're doing great and sometimes we bomb. Sometimes we've got things going and and life is tracking and things are clicking and life is good. And then sometimes we hit a desperate pothole and we get off track and our life begins to fall apart or we start to struggle in some area of our life. And as we look at the life of Peter, who was Jesus' closest disciple, we begin to see that his life is a reflection of our life and our life is a reflection of his life. And our life doesn't have to, to exemplify perfect faith. In fact, we subtitled the imperfect steps of faith because our life as followers of Jesus is, is grounded in his persistent grace, not in our perfect faith. And so what I want to do today, I want to take a moment, I want to read a passage of scripture where we're going to pick up the life of Simon and it's coming at the very tail end of the worst day in his life. The very worst time in Peter's life where his disappointment was the greatest, where his expectations were broken, where his expectations were shattered. We're going to pick him up in the moment after that Event And I'm going to read you a whole passage, and then we're going to come back and kind of chop it up together. And here's what it says. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over. He looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Today, the title of my message is Hope in the Dark. Hope in the Dark. My family and I, we do a family night. Uh, We try to do it once a week. Uh, and we get together with the kids, and we decide, hey, we're going to go do something. Sometimes it's Monopoly. Sometimes it's bowling. Uh, this week, we, you know, it was rainy and drizzly and dreary out there, and so my kids said, let's do a movie night. So we popped some popcorn, got the hot chocolate together, and we go, all right, we're going to do a movie night. So we're looking for a movie, and, and let's be honest, we were looking for a free movie, and um, there was a, a free movie on our, on our TV, uh, and it was the 2014 remake of the classic musical Annie. 
Anybody know Annie? You remember that movie or, you know, musical? And um, apparently the 2014 remake had gotten panned by the critics, but our seven-year-olds don't read movie reviews. So we were like, this is going to be awesome, you guys. And so we, we crank up the movie, and, and you guys know the story generally of Annie. There's a, a little girl, and she's orphaned at, you know, at birth. And she goes, and she lives with this woman, and the woman is this mean, greedy lady who just tries to take, you know, uh, get money to try to take care of these kids, but she doesn't really care about the kids. And there's this really touching scene early on in the movie. And early on in the movie, little Annie is there with these other girls, and it's, it's, you know, night is falling, and the girls are like all getting ready for bed, and they start reflecting on, wouldn't it be great if our real family could come back and find us? Wouldn't it be great if we could meet them? And, and she starts imagining what they might be like and who these people might be. And so she starts singing this song. She goes, betcha they're young, betcha they're smart, betcha they collect things like ashtrays and art. I betcha they're good, why wouldn't they be? Their one mistake was giving up me. And then she starts to imagine like, what if they came? And she goes, maybe now it's time, and maybe when I wake, they'll be there calling me baby, maybe. And all these little girls are singing this song, and it's kind of heartbreaking because even though you, can't necess- you may not necessarily relate to their particular circumstances, you relate to this sense of, of longing in their heart. You, you relate to this sense of, of disappointment where their hopes and their expectations are not the same as their experiences. You, you get this sense of like, wouldn't it be great if, if what they really dreamed of and, and really hoped for would come true, but at the same time you're listening to it and you're going, it's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. And so you're, there's a tension because you're hoping with them, but you're also going, that's impossible. Like it really won't happen. And, 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 and when you start hearing the song and all the girls are singing Whatever your disappointment is, you start to think about that. You can reflect on the things that, where your, where your disappointment came into place, where your hopes and your expectations exceeded the outcomes and the experiences that you had. And, and I started this week, I tried to think of a word that was better than disappointment. There are a lot of words that, you know, disappointment doesn't totally capture it because you can be disappointed if you pour yourself a bowl of Lucky Charms, you get your spoon, you go to the fridge, you open it, and there's no milk, right? And you go, ah, oh, man, I was really, right? That's disappointment. But this is not that kind of disappointment. This is like that deep sense of longing in your heart when you put your head down on the pillow and you go, what if, maybe, what if that had turned out differently? What if that worked out a different way? And it comes from different sources, our own disappointment. Sometimes it comes from ourselves. Sometimes we, we disappoint ourselves. We let ourselves down. We do something that we didn't expect to do, or we don't do something that we expected we would do. We hope that we would do this, but we fell short of that. And sometimes that is the source of our disappointment. Sometimes the disappointment comes from somebody else. We've all had that happen in, in, in our life. Somebody that you hoped in or trusted in or believed in let you down. Sometimes it happens, you know, uh, you might be a kid and your parents got divorced and, you, and, you, and now you're wishing, gosh, wouldn't it be great if they got back together and maybe and maybe, but it doesn't happen and there's this disappointment. There's a disconnect between the expectation and the outcome. Sometimes in our life, it even feels like God lets us down. It feels like life lets us down. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people 
haven't come to church or don't come to church on a regular basis because somewhere along the line, they were in a church somewhere and somebody let them down and they got hurt and they experienced hardship and they experienced pain and they may have experienced betrayal. And so they go, well, wouldn't it be, but it's not. Wouldn't it be wonderful, but it's not. We all have this in some area of our life. We've all experienced moments of disappointment. What do we do? When our expectations are here, but our experience is down here, and there's a disconnect, and we can't can't close the gap. When we meet Peter right before this story happens, we're meeting him in the moment of his greatest disappointment. He He had gone with Jesus, had followed behind Jesus the night that Jesus was arrested. And he was in a courtyard, and we explored this last week. So if you're, if you're here and you haven't been following this series, you can go online and check it out. But, but last week, we, we, we left him off where he had gone to this courtyard, and uh, there were, he was around this fire, and Jesus was in the other room inside of the priest, high priest's home, and, and, and they were talking about Jesus, and somebody came up to Peter and, and said, wait a minute, aren't you one of his followers? And Simon, in this moment, blows it. And he goes, no, 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 I, I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. He denies him. Somebody else comes, didn't you? Aren't you one of his guys? No, I don't know who he is. Third person comes along. Yeah, you are. I've seen you. I know who you are. No, I'm not one of his. And then the scripture says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And when you read that passage in, in the Greek, you can sort of open it up a little bit. It's an audible sobbing. It's a deep groaning. It's a sorrow that is, is born out of deep disappointment. And it's disappointment in himself. But it's about to get so much worse for Simon because the next day, Peter, uh, Jesus is taken before the Roman governor and he's sentenced to execution. And they take Jesus out to a hill, they call it Skull Hill. And they put a, you know, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. So they take this, they say, let's make him a crown. They get these briars and they twist it around and, and they smash it on his head. And then they mock him and spit on him. And they openly scoff him and laugh at him, tear off his clothes. And now he's naked and exposed. And they beat him and they nail him to these cross beams and they put him up on this hill. And he's just a mockery. And he's just, you know, people just, they actually put a sign above his head that says king of the Jews, like ironically, ha ha, right? And, and they're just laughing at him and Peter can't do anything about it. He can't stop it. And his last interaction with Jesus was when he says, I don't know who he is. So the pain and the condemnation and the shame and the guilt that he's carrying is so great that he's, he's sobbing audibly. That night he goes to bed, Simon, And you know, as he puts his head down on his pillow, and as the dark begins to fall, there's got to be a part of his, his heart and his mind that is hoping, maybe. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe in the morning this will all be different. Maybe now it's time, and maybe when I wake, he'll be there, and he'll be calling me Simon. Or no, 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 he'll be calling me Peter, the rock, remember, like he did before. And maybe the next morning... Simon wakes up and the expectation or the hope is not met. The reality is that Jesus is still dead and Jesus is still in the tomb. And and all of Jerusalem is actually throwing a celebration. They're celebrating the Passover. They're celebrating the day that, that that God brought the Jews out of bondage from Egypt. They're celebrating the day that when they put the blood of the lamb on the wood of the doorpost, they were freed from bondage. But Peter cannot celebrate. 
Because he can only think about the blood on the crossbeam of his Savior. And he's going, I, I, I can't celebrate, but maybe. And then Saturday morning passes, and then Saturday afternoon, and then Saturday night. And another night going to bed with this desperate longing, this deep disappointment, this deep pain. Some of you have experienced that kind of pain, and you, you are experiencing it now, or you've experienced it in the past. Or some of you, if you haven't, there will be a, there will be a moment. There will be a time in your life where you go, I don't, even, I don't even know what to hope for. What does Simon hope for at this point? He doesn't know what to hope for. Everything that he believed in, everything that he dreamed of, everything that he hoped for was gone, totally destroyed, totally annihilated. What do you long for when everything that you dreamed of is dead? But then, praise God, Sunday morning comes. Aren't you glad we get to that part of the story? Aren't you glad that there's actually a Sunday morning in the, in the story? Because if it ended at Saturday night, we just wouldn't be here, frankly. We would just all be in bed with the covers over our heads still mourning. But here's what, here's what the scripture says. It says, early on the first day of the week, this is Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Here's something I want you to get today if you don't get anything else. Just because it's dark doesn't mean it's done. Just because whatever you're experiencing right now doesn't totally make sense to you. And you can't completely understand where God is, is taking you. And you can't totally understand how God's going to work out this particular situation or this particular difficulty in your life. Just because it's dark doesn't mean it's done. Because a lot of times God does his best work in the dark. Gideon overcame the Midianites in the dark. Jacob wrestled with an angel and his name was changed to Israel in the dark. Paul and Silas were freed from jail, if you know that story, in the dark. Jesus walked on the water in the dark. Peter stepped out of the boat in the dark. A lot of times, God uses the darkness of your experience to reveal the light of his power in your life. Some of you who have been through difficulties and been through hardships, that's when you press in. That's when you lean in, because the scripture actually says it's in our weakness that we are made strong through his strength. It's in our darkness that we begin to see the light of his love. It's in the darkness that he shines the brightest. So just because it's dark right now doesn't mean that it's done. So Mary Magdalene goes, she finds the, 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 the stone rolled away. And then it says, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just need to explain this real quick. The one that Jesus loved is a reference to a disciple named John. Guess who wrote this book? There's his name right there. Okay. So you remember John and James, they've got this thing where like their mom, this is true. I'll preach on this some other time. John and James, their mom brought them to Jesus. And their mom said, can my son sit on your right hand and left in my kingdom? Because there's just really great boys. And I think you should really elevate them to the, right? So John, John's got a little thing going on with Peter. And so he's like, it's the humble brag, right? I'm just not even going to use my name. I'm just going to call myself the one that Jesus loved. And so, you know, so anyway, um, so he comes to the, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And here's what Mary says. And I love what she says here. She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Look where her mind goes. She, it doesn't go to the impossible, it goes to the illegal. She thinks that something bad happened, right? 
she thinks that somebody stole the corpse. She's not sitting there going, hey, maybe he's risen. She's going, he's been stolen, right? Mary Magdalene, if you read about her, she's been through some stuff. This is a woman who has been beat up from the feet up by life and she has struggled and there has been pain and there's been hardship and there's been hurt and there's been condemnation and her life has been messed up. In fact, one of the scriptures says that at one point Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. If you've got seven devils in you, you've been around the block a couple times. You've seen some stuff that most people haven't seen. There's been some darkness in your life. And, and here's the thing. When you have been hurt enough times, you begin to expect to get hurt again. When you've been wounded enough times, even an open hand looks like a fist to you. When you've, been, when you've gone through difficulties and challenges and hardships and, and, and people have messed you up in life, it's really hard to receive the possibility of healing because the possibility of healing looks like a threat. And so when she sees the empty tomb, she doesn't see a risen Savior. She sees somebody stole the body. They've taken him, and we don't know where they put him. And so Peter, after she tells them this, Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I like how at the climax of the resurrection story, John's like, Actually, I'm a faster runner than Peter. Um, he's got a lot of other fine attributes, but not speed. So, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. Okay, John, you got there first. Okay, so reached the tomb first. John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Now, we don't, the scripture doesn't tell us why he didn't, doesn't go in. He, he sees the tomb, he looks in, but he doesn't go in. All right? It may be because he's afraid. It may be because he was at the crucifixion and he saw what they did to Jesus and he's afraid of what they're going to do to him if he gets too close to it. It may be that going in and being around a dead body is richly impure if you're a, an observant Jew. It may be, there's a lot of reasons that John may not have gone in, but whatever those reasons are, Simon Peter does not share those concerns. It says this, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Let me tell you this. If you need a touch of God in your life, do not let anything hold you back. Do not let anything block you. Do not let what a person may say. Do not let past experiences. Do not let shame. Do not let fear. Do not let condemnation. Go to God because he is there for you. He is, Peter's like, Peter's desperate. Peter goes, I am disappointed every which way. I've let myself down. Other people have let me down. The dream that I thought God had for me is, is blasted. So I just want to be near Jesus. If Jesus is anywhere around, I'm going in. Ritually impure, that's okay. Get arrested, that's okay. Get in trouble, be afraid, that's okay. I'm going in. So Peter runs straight into the tomb. And this is, this is a kind of a weird pause in the story. It says, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, when I read this, I'm like, what in the world? I mean, like, this is the resurrection. Why are we talking about how the material is folded and putting in its place? And, you know, this is like, you know, it's just a strange detail. And as the more I began to look at it, the more I realized what Peter's doing is he's actually doing a little bit of CSI investigation right here. He's going, wait a minute. Mary said Jesus' body was stolen, Okay. So I'm here, and, and actually when, when it says he saw, it actually means he, he perceived, he took the time, he looked into it. And he's, what he's noticing is, 
okay, but here's the, the bedclothes, the, the, the funeral clothes, and they're right here. And then here's the headcloth, and it's, it's, it's folded up, it's wrapped up, and it's still there, right? And Peter's going, wait a minute, this doesn't look like a robbery scene to me. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having your house burglarized. We did a few years ago. And what I noticed is that the robbers did not take the time to fold up my shirt and put it back in the drawer after they robbed it. They just took it out, right? Peter's going, this, this is in place, this is in place. It doesn't look like a robbery, but I don't know what it is. And what's fascinating about Peter here in this moment is he can't imagine still a resurrection. Like that doesn't occur to him. He doesn't see the possibility of that. He was thinking robbery, but he wasn't thinking resurrection. He was thinking like there's a mystery, but I, he doesn't fathom a miracle. He's going, there's some, I don't know what happened, but something happened, but I don't know what happened, right? And even the, the scripture says this. It says, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the disciples went back to where they were staying. So the problem is, that their expectations were not, it wasn't that their expectations were too high. It turns out that their expectations were too low because they couldn't remember the promise that Jesus gave. Jesus, if you read earlier in the passage, Jesus many times had told them, he said, I will be killed and then I will be buried and then I will rise from the dead. And you know what they did? Huh, that's an interesting metaphor for something else right? That's an interesting allegory for renewal. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I will die. I will be buried. I will rise from the dead. But they couldn't understand it because they're looking at the circumstances. The circumstances don't make sense. What they had forgotten was the, pro- was the promise. They were looking at the problem and the problem didn't make sense. They had forgotten the promise of the Lord. When the problem seems the darkest, remember the promise. This is what, this is, this is what God's trying to say. It's like when you're problem and when your difficulty is bad, when it's the darkest, don't just look at the circumstance, look at the promise. Jesus is saying, look, I am promising eternal life. I'm, I'm, promising, I'm promising strength and joy and power. I'm promising my spirit. I'm promising. You, and, but we just forget it. We miss it. And so we're going, God, why, why is this happening, right? Because we're not looking at the promise. Peter, in his mind, had a limited vision of what Jesus was going to do with him. When Jesus said, I want you to be the rock, when he said, you know, you're gonna be leading out in my kingdom, Peter's thinking, okay, kingdom, this is gonna be Israel, this is gonna be a few, you know, a few tens of thousands of people, and I'm gonna be in charge, you know, or like, like second in charge, okay? All right, with John, like way down there somewhere, way behind me, back in the background. Um, but what he doesn't imagine is that Jesus is going, no, no, no. I'm not talking about a few thousand people in a localized region. I'm talking about billions of people worldwide. I'm talking about a kingdom that is bigger than you can possibly imagine. I'm talking about Jews and Greeks and Africans and Europeans and Asians and people from all over the globe coming together in a kingdom inspired by divine love. That's the kingdom that I'm talking about. You see, so the reason... Peter was disappointed is because his expectations were not being met. But what he didn't realize is that his expectations were too low. Are you with me? His expectations were for something small, and that wasn't happening. And so he's disappointed. And Jesus is already alive going, hey, I've got a bigger vision for you than you can possibly imagine. My promise is bigger than your hope. My promise is bigger than your dream. You want to build wealth? I want you to build a kingdom. You want a better marriage? I want your marriage to become a ministry. 
You want a job? I'm going to give you a calling, right? He's got something. He's inviting us to something greater than we can possibly imagine. So when we're disappointed, oftentimes it's because we're disappointed in our small expectations of what God can do. So you got to remember the promise. So Peter goes back, doesn't know what's going to happen, still can't figure it out, still kind of trying to make his way through it. He goes back to the house, and then the maybe becomes a reality. And it says this, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can you imagine, can you imagine the euphoria of having gone through three days without your Savior, without your Lord, having denied him, having watched him beaten and betrayed and mocked and ridiculed, and suddenly he is standing there before you. I don't know where each one of you are. I don't know if you're like a dyed-in-the-wool Christian and you've been here for you know, a thousand years or your Aunt Myrtle guilted you into coming today, right? And you're just here because it's Easter Sunday, right? And she got you a pink shirt like my wife did for me. Um, <laughs> but, but the promise of the resurrection is this. Because he lives, there's hope in the dark. Because he lives, every possible pain, every possible instance of shame, every piece of condemnation, every fear, every heartache, every heartbreak can be restored. Every relationship can be ultimately reconciled. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, anything is possible. Jesus said, with me, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. The thing that you're lying awake at night going, well, maybe, but it can't happen. Maybe. Jesus is saying, first of all, yes, it can. Second of all, there might be something greater for you. There might be something greater than that that I want to convey to you. Because he lives, there's hope for tomorrow. Peter later wrote a letter to the Christians all around the world. And in the very opening of the letter, he says, you know, we rejoice because God has given us, and this is the phrase he uses, a living hope through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, not only is this a hope in a particular circumstance, I'm going to give you a living hope that stays with you in the good times and in the bad times. So that in the darkness, there's still hope. And in the pain, there's still hope. And in the hardship, there's still hope. And in the difficulties, there is still hope hope because he lives there is hope in the dark wherever you are today in your own journey in your spiritual life i i just want to i just want to share i just want to tell you this because of the resurrection nothing is impossible nothing is impossible whatever you think is impossible is not impossible because if he's overcome death his strength is greater than your situation his power is greater than your problem. His might is greater than your mess. Because he lives, there is hope in the dark. Sing that with me one last time. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. 
All fear is gone Because I know He holds the future Holds the future And life is worth a living And life is worth a living Just because He lives Just because He lives Father, we come before you as we close out this Easter service. God, I just pray that your word would permeate our hearts, that you would bring joy and celebration in the midst of the difficulties and hardships and disappointments that we face in life, that we would experience who you really are and who you've really made us to be, that you would empower us by your spirit to know who you really are, to know who Jesus is, to experience the power of the resurrection in our life, not as a story remote and dusty, but as a reality in our heart. Real life, real joy, real peace, and real hope, even in the dark. Father, we praise you for this, and we ask that you receive all honor, glory, and praise from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen.